Testing. Are you there? Hey. <laughs> so without the greetings and without the offering, the service is a lot shorter. And I realized one other thing, too, because preachers have a pattern with how they approach the pulpit, and that is that you use the restroom during the greeting time. And uh, so I went fast. I went earlier. But <laughs> yeah, I just realized. I just realized. I remember. I, remember, I, I think maybe I've told you this before, but... Uh, I remember one time, you know, Bill, Bill tends to keep an eye on the clock, and so uh, uh, one time I went to the restroom during the greeting time, or no, no, be just before, and he decided things were too short, so he didn't do the greeting time, and everybody was sitting here when I came out of the bathroom, <laughs> which was interesting. <laughs> so... In April, late April, in the midst of this uh, coronavirus and isolation, I think actually at a time when uh, it was really bearing in on us quite a bit because we weren't used to it yet, uh, Susie and I had an opportunity to be involved with a international Zoom uh, prayer event. There was about 20, 25 people. It's, it had to do with a particular mission. And... Uh, it was a really great experience because there was people from uh, Europe, people from uh, different Spain and America, different places. In the middle of this uh, Zoom prayer event, I got a prophetic word. And I wasn't sure, you know, we were guests, so I wasn't sure exactly how I should handle that. But there was an opportunity and I shared the uh, prophetic word I got. And actually I, I wrote it down very quickly and what I realized was that this was a prophetic word not only for this mission, but basically for the church. It had to do with uh, what God was doing with us as believers during this time of isolation, where he kind of had us cornered. You know, he kind of he had our full attention, and uh, we couldn't get away with distractions. And uh, the prophetic word really relates to that, and I'd like to read it to you. So this is the word I got. God is preparing you for a harvest. All that he's been doing through this in regard to the church is to prepare for a harvest, to drive you to prayer, to introspection in regard to your spiritual life and walk with the Lord. That would be a godly inspection of your life with the Lord. And, and this is practical. It's really what happened during this time. Spending a lot of time with the Lord is really dangerous because, you know, change comes in. Things happen. So uh, your spiritual life and walk with the Lord. To clean you up, to sharpen you, and prepare you for a harvest. Out of this will come a harvest. A harvest of souls, a reaping where you have not expected it. Look to me, see what I am doing. Be not distracted by the world around you. Many things are happening, but I am preparing you for a harvest, saith the Lord. Uh, this word was actually 
before the civil unrest. This was just when we were having to deal with the pandemic. It wasn't uh, when all these other things came to bear. So what I got out of this was three responsibilities. When I look at a prophetic word, I look at, you know, what is my responsibility? What's God doing with me? Okay, number one, to drive us to prayer. A deeper, more consistent level of prayer. And again, less distractions, more time on our hands. Prayer really is an issue at this time. Number two, to examine our spiritual life and walk with the Lord. A time of repentance and fresh consecration. Uh, It was interesting. I was having a discussion with one of the young men in our discipleship house. Uh, There's a discipleship program at the Jesus Inn that's being sponsored by Believers Fellowship, and we're hosting them. And I was talking to one of the more responsible young men, and I was talking about what was going on in my life during this time. And I said, you know, it's interesting. God deals with the sins, and, and then he starts working down into those sins like, you know, your attitudes. And, you know, he's dealt with the big guys, so he's dealing with attitudes, words, different things. And then after that, I said, as you get older, and as I find I get older, he gets kind of nitpicky, you know? He starts dealing with things like, what are you doing with your time? You know, redeem the time, the days are evil. What are you doing about entertainment? You know, we're going to talk about that a little more. He looked at me and he said, Gordon, you're amazing. I thought, no, I said, I'm just telling you what happens. Okay, number three, not to be distracted by what is going on in the world, but to focus on Jesus. What is the Lord doing and how can we cooperate with him? I had one morning uh, where I woke up and I had just anxiety, just all these anxiety rushes, all this stuff going on. And I thought, well, what's the deal? Because I'm not, you know, there's nothing going on with me. And if you saw Star Wars and you remember Obi-Wan Kenobi on the Millennial Falcon when the Death Star blew up Aldrion, and he's sitting there and he goes like this, And then he says, there was a disturbance in the force. I was talking to Bill about this. There is a real disturbance in the spiritual atmosphere. And I'm sensitive, and I was picking all this stuff up, and I had to get to a place where I just quit, quit reading all the news all the time, quit getting on Facebook all the time. It was just burying in. You know, Bill shared a bit about this last week. I told him how I was going to touch on some of these things. But that's the truth. And the Lord spoke to me a very clear word. He said, I want you to come up above the fray. It says we're seated with him in heavenly places. I want you up here where you can have a perspective of what I'm doing. But it's hard because of all this stuff going on. What is the Lord doing and how can we cooperate with him? The Lord is continually speaking to me about birth pangs. Now, I wrote this actually on Facebook. What I did is uh, there was a lot of prophecies coming out, just doomsday prophecies. You know, in in November, there's going to be a civil war. Everybody's going to grab guns. I mean, it's crazy stuff out there. And I said, look, with all the doomsday prophecies, I want to share this word. So I shared this word on Facebook. And at that time, the civil unrest was already starting to happen. So basically I said, the Lord is continually speaking to me about birth pangs, that the climatic conditions upon the earth and in society in these days are birth pangs, 
the actual process by which God is bringing forth something new upon the earth. And if you look through history, actually this is uh, pretty typical of that kind of construct. If we can look at what's happened. Uh, someone mentioned back in the 60s, we had a pan pandemic going on, we had civil unrest, and then the Jesus People movement broke out. And we don't want to presume, but I know God's saying something here. Let us put our eyes on Jesus and receive his peace and joy. Let us not be distracted by what is going on in the world, but watch for and cooperate with what the Lord is doing. I've been reading uh, lately a lot by A.B. Simpson, the founder of uh, Missionary Alliance, a very profound man, a prolific uh, writer, and he talks a lot about our responsibility to watch and see what God is doing and cooperate. It's a great precept, got great word. So how should we respond when a prophetic word is given? The first thing I thought about is we need to be responsible to pray, to pray over that word. And I actually had someone say, brother, I'm praying that that comes to pass. It's a good word, that it comes to pass. Number two, we mentioned this, we are to cooperate with God in the fulfillment of his word. Prophetic words are not given, so you'd sit by passively and wait for it to happen. You need to enter in and participate and cooperate with that word. So I want to look at these three things. Number one, to drive us to prayer, a deeper, more consistent level of prayer. Uh, this is a verse that's well known to us, but really fits our times what I realized was a lot of the scriptures as we read them were given for such a time as this. Pandemics, times of anxiety, persecution, you know, they weren't really given much for the good times. They were really appropriate for these times. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Isn't that ever more appropriate at this time? Anxiety, release from anxiety by laying these things upon the Lord and the peace of God will come and guard our hearts and minds. And you know, I, I believe we are moving into apocalyptic times. I mean, I think this is just a foretaste. There's a lot more that's in store for us. We need to learn how to abide in his peace in the midst of chaotic situations. To do this, we need to be more consistent in prayer. Charles Spurgeon, the great revivalist, said this, prayer must not be our chance work, but our daily business, our habit and vocation. We must be immersed in prayer as in our element. The Lord wants us to be more disciplined and committed to prayer. And this is a great opportunity. We don't want to miss this opportunity. It's kind of like when you're going through a trial and, and you really don't like it. I mean, it's not pleasant, it's painful, but the presence of God is so strong there. And then when you come out of it, it's almost like, gosh, I wish I was still there because the presence of God was so strong. This will pass. We need to take opportunity to allow this to develop in us some godly quality traits, to develop our spiritual lives. The next verse, 
uh, has been quoted many times during the pandemic and was actually quoted by Vice President Pence. He asked the nation this. This is 2 Chronicles 7, 14 through 15. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And again, we've heard this verse many times and we've said, we feel it's appropriate. But how much more appropriate during these times? Both with the civil unrest and the pandemic. Forgive their sin and heal their land. Especially during this time of national crisis, we as Christians have a responsibility to pray for our nation and to pray for our leadership. I've never felt more impelled during every opportunity, even in family pray, prayers, to not pray for our president. We need to pray for our president. We need to pray for our vice president. We need to pray for our mayor. We need to pray for our governor. We need to pray for the people who have this responsibility. To do this, it would be good to establish specific times of prayer. And this is something the Lord's really put upon us. Uh, during this uh, coronavirus pandemic, we established a Monday night, 4.30 p.m. Zoom prayer meeting. I don't know if you know about Zoom. It's kind of like Skype on steroids. <laughs> yeah, it's really nice. And uh, so we set this up on Monday at 4.30 to pray for our nation, our state, our city, and our church, specifically about the coronavirus. And then the civil uh, unrest came into play. And so once we were able to meet again regularly, we decided we were going to keep this up. So we actually purchased uh, Zoom for the Jesus End. Before that, you could have it for free for 30 minutes. You had to stop, reboot, and all this stuff. So we got it. And we've opened it up. And now uh, we have uh, Stephanie Beck joining us from China at 5 in the morning <laughs> at our 4.30. Uh, Patty Elin joins us. And uh, Joel has recently joined us. So it's a, it's a variety of people from different areas. Uh, during uh, the pandemic, we've uh, continued to have Missions Prayer Band on Zoom. We continued to have that every Sunday morning, 9 o'clock in the morning, in our PJs before. <laughs> and then afterwards, we'd watch the uh, uh, podcast together. So we continued that. Another thing we established, and I'm not saying this you know, for us, but just to give you an idea, our family has established every evening at 5 p.m. we get together and pray, those of us who are there, 5 p.m. Uh, I mentioned to Susie last night we didn't have an opportunity to do that, so we did it after dinner, which was more like 7. But to establish times of prayer, think about that, okay? We need to be more intentional uh, regarding prayer. E.M. Bounds, a Methodist minister and a great intercessor, wrote a number of books on prayer, said, Prayer is not a little habit, but it is the most serious work. Praying true praying costs an outlay of serious attention and of time, which flesh and blood do not relish. True prayer is hard work, but more, more than worth the effort. John Wesley said, God does nothing but an answer to prayer. God moves upon our prayers. So number one, God wants to drive us to prayer, a deeper, more consistent level of prayer. Number two, to examine our spiritual life and our walk with the Lord, a time of repentance 
and fresh consecration. When I think about consecration, I think about this thing I mentioned to this young man, Sam, that God is touching areas of our life. And he says, you know, that's not sin and that's okay, but is that the best use of your time? Is that redemptive? What does it accomplish? I mean, I got to the place, like I say, with Facebook, and the Lord was saying, next time you go to check on Facebook, read a portion of scripture. Substitute something redemptive for it. Uh, Evan Roberts, the great revivalist that was used mightily in the Welsh revival of 1904, listed four conditions for revival. The first, is there any sin in your past with which you have not honestly dealt and not confessed to God? On your knees at once. Your past must be put away and cleansed. Here's the second one. Is there anything in your life that is doubtful? Anything you cannot decide whether it is good or evil? Away with it. There must not be a trace of a cloud between you and God. Third, do what the Holy Spirit, Jim, Jim's going to love this one, do what the Holy Spirit prompts without hesitation or fear, obedience, prompt, implicit, unquestioning obedience at whatever the cost. At whatever the cost. Number four, a public confession of Christ as personal Savior. Public confession of Christ as personal Savior. Repentance and fresh consecration. I was praying for Heather. Uh, she's been waiting on the Lord. Of course, we're all kind of waiting on the Lord during this, during this time of isolation. But she's waiting on the Lord. She's communicating with different people overseas and looking at what God has for her next. And I was praying for her, and I got a word for her. And as I wrote it down, the Lord spoke to me. Actually, you know, I've told you this before. I pray for a word for the year. And he said, this is actually the word for the year. It's not just for Heather. This is the word I got. You might want to write this down. That this is going to be a year of breakthroughs. Sometimes breakthroughs are painful. This is going to be a year of breakthroughs. The removal of obstacles and hindrances to the fulfilling of the call of God on our lives. Uh, we were talking about, you know, during this time, you're not, allowed, you're not able to get out and do a lot you know, the different things about fruitfulness. I was thinking about a tree, and during this time of isolation is a time to put down roots, and there will be a bearing of fruit uh, in the very near future. Removal of obstacles and hindrances to the fulfilling of the call of God in our lives. We need to cooperate with God in removing anything that hinders the call of God on our lives, anything that hinders our relationship with the Lord. What an opportunity. D.L. Moody, the 18th century evangelist, founder of Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, said it this way, anything that interrupts our communion with God, that hinders the progress of our spiritual life, that chills our affection for Christ, anything that does that, we ought to give up. We need to be willing to repent and give up anything that interrupts our communion with God. In Hebrews 12, Verse 1 through 2, Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, it says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, lay aside every weight 
and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So there are two things here. There are weights and there are sins. There are weights that are not sins. There are things that hinder our relationship with the Lord, that hinder our spiritual life, that God wants us to get rid of. He wants us to pull it in and focus and allow the power of God to really start manifesting in our lives. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 10, 23, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Not all things build up. We are to give up every sin, but also any weights that hinder our running of the race. This is a quote that I've I've shared in the past. You may recognize a part of it. It's from an article called, Others May, But You Cannot. Others may, but you cannot. If God has called you to be really like Jesus, he will draw you into a life of crucifixion and humility and put upon you such demands of obedience that you will not be able to follow other people or measure yourself by other Christians. I've actually done that. I said, Lord, you let them do that. And in many ways... He will seem to let other people do things which he will not let you do. The Holy Spirit will put a strict watch over you with a jealous love and will rebuke you for little words and feelings or for wasting your time, which other Christians never feel distressed over. So make up your mind that God is infinitely sovereign and has a right to do as he pleases with his own. Uh, I printed these out. You might want one of these and put it in your Bible. This is that article. 2 Corinthians 6, 16 and 7, 1. Every time I read this, I just really, I really struggle. I really struggle with it. The implications of this verse. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean. More and more, the Lord showing me that is not clean. It's not good for you. Um, I've shared in the past because of the prophetic calling, and I'm very visual And, uh, you know, I'll watch something and then I'll go to pray and that's all I see, what I watched. You know, you've got to keep your spirit clear. Touch, do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you. You shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. We need to be willing to give up those things that God shows us are obstacles and hindrance to our relationship to him. We need to examine our spiritual life and walk with the Lord, repentance and fresh consecration. Number three, not to be distracted by what is going on in the world, but to focus on Jesus. What is the Lord doing and how can I cooperate with him? Romans 16, 9 through 20. Romans 16, 9 through 20. First time I found this verse, I just thought, this this is a pretty amazing verse. 
I want you to be wise to what is good and simple concerning evil. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. We need to concentrate on what God is doing, not on what the enemy is doing. Human nature, human curiosity, loves to be taken up with spiritual and political conspiracies and searching out what the enemy is doing. I, I remember the days as a young Christian, we were all into the Illuminati, you know, figuring out the Illuminati and who was part of it, the Trilateral Commission. You guys don't remember anything about that. But, but all this stuff, you know, all this stuff. And God really speaks about that. We need to be looking at what God is doing. We don't need to know those things. But what does God think? This is why we don't need to know these things. What does God think about the plots and ploys of men? Psalm 2, 4 through 5. He who sits in heaven shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. The Lord gave me kind of a visual thing. God's sitting up here. He's watching all these secret machinations of man. And he kind of laughs and he puts his hand down and goes like this. That's what God thinks about it. I looked up the word derision. The act of deriding, subjection to ridicule or mockery manifested by laugh and scorn. That's what God thinks about the secret conspiracies and plots of man. So you don't need to know about Mr. Soros and all that stuff. You don't really need to know about that because God's, God's, God's watching over that. This is what God thinks about the hidden secret conspiracies of men. Our knowing and understanding of them has no worth. It is a snare and one of the devil's distractions. I use Facebook as a ministry tool. And I was ministering to a young lady that was all caught up in this stuff. And I wrote this. I want to read to you what I wrote. Over the years, I've learned that one of the snares of the devil is to be obsessed with what he is doing. To focus on that rather than keeping our eyes on the Lord. He loves attention and are being distracted from our role, our sole purpose in life, which is to cooperate with God's plan as well as lifting up and glorifying Jesus. Let us put our eyes on Jesus and receive peace and joy. Let us not be distracted by what's going on in the world, but watch him put the evil plots of men in derision. That is powerful. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-6 says, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. In the King James Version, it talks about casting down imaginations. So three things, imaginations, knowledge, and thoughts. It's all about your mind. The devil wants to control and obsess your mind. He wants to distract you. He, he's at a place where he, he really isn't convinced he can cause you to totally fall away, so he wants to take away your power, and he wants to distract you. It's a battle for our minds. It's a battle for our minds. It actually says here, um, 
everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. We need to meditate. We need to abide in the knowledge of God. That was what Bill was teaching on last week. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world. And and, and this word actually means like being molded into the shape of the world. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is a good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27, Christ also loved the church, gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. You put those two verses together, and what you get is, our minds are transformed, they're renewed, they're sanctified, and they're cleansed by the washing of the water of the word of God. Uh, we used to talk about in, in, in our community ministry about how if you watched an hour of television, you needed to read the word for two hours. Just to, just to, well, by now it's like an hour and you need to read the word for four or five hours. But you get the idea of this. The world is trying to conform you into an anxious, distracted, what's the word for loss of power? Unempowered person. That's what what the devil wants to do. We need to be student of God's word. We need to abide in the word of God. We need to be wise to what is good and simple concerning evil and the promises that the God of peace will crush Satan under our feet. Finally, one of the clearest and wisest exhortations in Scripture regarding the battle for our minds is in Philippians chapter 4, 8 through 9. Philippians 4, 8 through 9, direct, very direct. Whatever things are true, and you know, every one of these describes the Word of God, by the way, or the testimony of God, but especially the Word of God. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, Whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. We are not to be distracted by what is going on in the world, but we're to focus on Jesus. What is the Lord doing? And how can we cooperate with him? Amen? So what about harvest? What about harvest? Again, are we to just wait until things fall into our hands? What about harvest? Uh, I've taught on this many times. I have a booklet called Responsibility of the Believer. Uh, Another one about the Great Commission Church. You've heard me teach on these subjects. But again, I've been reading uh, A.B. Simpson, founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance. And uh, it's interesting because, you know, you may have heard his name, you may have heard of Christian Missionary Alliance, but as you look at his uh, biography, it's amazing. He went through this thing where he had a classic Pentecostal experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And through that, he lost a lot of people. And then shortly after that, he had this uh, profound revelation of divine healing, one of the most balanced things I've heard about as we walk in in obedience to God as best we can, God gives us divine health. 
If something else interposes, that's because God has a specific purpose for it. If you pass away, it's because God has completed your work and it's time to go. I, it's a really pretty good, solid theology. But the basis is to walk in faith and to walk in obedience to God and receive health. But he was an amazing guy and prolific. Uh, I downloaded this thing onto my um, iPhone and it was his biography, and then it's the sunsets. I didn't catch what it said, but it said one to 50 works of A.B. Simpson. And it's like thousands and thousands of pages, and it's all about Jesus. Jesus and Isaiah, Jesus and this, Jesus, the most amazing thing I've ever read. I lay in bed at night just reading this. But he said something in regard to our responsibility for the harvest that was very sobering. He said, God has given us a great trust for the world. This gospel is not our own, but given to us for dying men. We dare not use it for ourselves without peril. Suppose some wealthy man were to bequeath you a great estate to the suffering poor of New York City and leave us as trustees of the fund. And instead of using it according to his benevolent wishes, we were to sit down and enjoy it ourselves and squander it on our families and our pleasures. Would we not be regarded as false to our trust and cruel, selfish, unjust, and criminal? Christ has less left us the purchase of his blood, not for enjoyment merely, but for the world's salvation. Terrible indeed will be the account which they shall have to render who have used this trust for their own salvation and enjoyment and left the world for whom it was intended to perish in ignorance and sin. We are trustees of the gospel. Let us never forget this. That's a heavy word. And, and what I got after that was, there is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus, but there's plenty of room for conviction and change. There's plenty of room for conviction and change, and change only comes through repentance. This is between you and the Lord, but that struck my heart. I was Talking to my daughter, you know, I basically talk to people about Jesus a lot. I'm very open about that, but that's about it. Bless you, and they go. Yeah, a lot of times in Tulsa, you know, 60%, 70%. They're Christians, so I say, is there anything I pray for you about? Oh, yeah, and I pray with them. But what the Lord said to me, this is a time of harvest. Go for the transaction. Ask them. Would you like to just make a decision right now? Would you like to pray? to give your life to Jesus. And if they say no, that puts them in a very precarious place and God will pursue them. Something better to be cold than lukewarm. We need to move forward in this. I believe we're to be opportunists for God. We're opportunists for a lot of other things, not bad things. We need to look for every opportunity to share the gospel and to lead people to Christ. I believe that's what God's saying. It's a time of harvest. There's something going on. We were talking to uh, Sarah and Alfredo in Spain, and she said she has never seen a time when people are more open to the gospel. They just want to talk. And then Spain's not like that. They're very insular. They want to talk about it. She said during the time of isolation, they had all kinds of Wi-Fi stuff going out, 
And, and the responses of Arabs and Muslims was incredible because they could do it without anyone knowing, asking questions, pursuing truth. It's not only happening here, it's happening all over the world. These are birth pangs. Pandemic, civil unrest, birth pangs, economic distress. God is doing something. He's preparing people. He's preparing you for a harvest. He's preparing people for a harvest. We, know, we need to look for every opportunity. As the Lord said, all this that has been happening is to prepare you for a harvest. Out of this will come a harvest, a harvest of souls, a reaping where you did not expect it. Look to me and see what I am doing. I'd like to pray with you. I, I, I felt, you know, if it, we can do social distancing up here. If you want to come up and pray about this, again, I had a whole teaching on this that true change does not come except through repentance. You can't do it on your own. You can't just decide, well, I'm going to change and I'm not going to do this, but I'm going to do this. You'll just fail in that and fall back into more condemnation. God's got to empower you. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for myself. I'm going to pray for you. Let's just stand, if we could, before the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we just thank you for this word, because this word does line up with Scripture. We have no problem with that. It's a bit, bit of a strong word. It's requiring something of us. That's not pleasant, but we know that the results of it will be greatly rewarded. It says that when someone comes to the Lord that the angels in heaven rejoice. We can only imagine what that must be like. God, help us. Help us to, to, to grab hold of the times. and That these things wouldn't push and drive us around. But we, O oh Lord, would rise above it and, and, and utilize this for your glory. We would optimize it. In Jesus' name, we would optimize this by the power of your spirit, through obedience, through cooperating. God, we thank you. We thank you that you're faithful. That you just don't leave us in that same place, but you're constantly pushing us forward. You're constantly dealing with us and working on us to perfect what you're trying to accomplish in and through us. We thank you for that. We bless you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. If anyone has something, a word or scripture, just something that's been dropped into your spirit, feel, feel free to share that. It doesn't have to sound like a prophecy. It might just be something God's dropping in your spirit. Thank you, Lord. Might, might even be a prayer. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus.
This is a section of scripture. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity until I come. Devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that was given to you through a prophetic utterance. When the body of elders laid their hands on you, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Thank you. This morning, as I was reading in Colossians, when it said, um, he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his son, whom he loves, where we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I had to repent because when I think of praying for my neighbors, I think, well, it would be a nice thing for me to share Jesus with them. But the Lord said, no, I need to see them in the kingdom of darkness, and they need to be rescued. They don't need a simple, nice thing. So I, I just had to repent to see people differently as God sees them. for the last couple of months I have been weighed down and I want to say maybe a month ago I was just turning to the Lord and I heard him say so clearly Barbara you're too much in the world you're just too much in the world and as Gordon was preaching today the scripture of the ten virgins came to my mind and I thought they were all virgins looking for the coming of Christ, they were waiting for it. They all had lamps, but only five kept the oil going. And I thought, I'm one of the virgins that doesn't have the oil. I need to spend more time with God and get the oil flowing so that when he returns, the oil is in my lamp.
Thank you, Father.